So one of my earlier childhood memories takes place when we lived in Kentucky. I was a young boy and uh, I was with my parents at the store. And this was back when going to the store was an event. You know, there wasn't internet and cable and all this stuff. And going to the store was a place where you got to see the new stuff, the new toys, the new things coming out. And it was always a good time, something we looked forward to. But I remember being at the store and we're walking through the store and something caught my eye. And I don't remember what it was, but I stopped. I remember stopping to look at it. And I'm not sure how long I, I stood there and looked at it, but by the time I looked back, my family had gone on without me. They didn't notice me stopping. And uh, I just stood there. I didn't know what to do. Like I said, I was just a young, young boy, and I panicked, and I just started crying. <laughs> yeah. And, and I stood there crying, and, and a woman came up, and she got me, and, and she took me to the service desk, and they paged my mom, and she came, and she rescued me. And, uh, and that was that. But, you know, I, I like to take some time every once in a while and look back at these events in my life and look at them from, what I say, out of the moment when I can step back and look at them from a different perspective. <clears throat> and, and looking at this event, you know, I, I wonder how things could have played out differently. You know, the idea that my, I know my parents would never have left me in the store and say, well, I don't know where he is, let's get in the car and go home. You know, and uh, well, then maybe. But uh, so I would, I know that had they noticed I wasn't with them, they would have come back and found me if I just stayed where I was. And as I mentioned, this, this was not an unfamiliar store. This is a store I'd been to at least once a week. Uh, we went there all the time. I, I knew my way around the store pretty well. If I had to, if I was thinking calmly, I could have probably caught up to my parents and found them and maybe they would have even never known I was gone. Or I could have at least made my own way to the service desk and had him page my mom. But in the circumstances at that moment, I was scared, I panicked, and I was lost. The reality was I was lost in familiar territory. I was lost in a familiar circumstance and familiar surroundings and since that time, I found myself lost in familiar surroundings many times. Not always physically, or hardly ever physically, but emotionally and spiritually, I find myself lost in familiar surroundings. And maybe it's happened to you a time or two. Have you ever been somewhere emotionally, spiritually, and all of a sudden you catch yourself and you wonder, how did I get here? This is a place I'd never thought I'd be, but for some, some reason, I find myself here today. This is being lost in familiar surroundings. Now with that, I wanna go to what Tanya read for us in 1 Samuel. This is our first introduction to David. At this moment, Saul is the king of Israel 
he was once anointed by God. He was chosen. But throughout his reign, Saul started to follow his own desires instead of God's. And God tells Samuel, it's time to find another king. Saul is not the one to lead my people anymore. And so God sent Samuel out to find this new king, and it turns out to be the youngest of Jesse's sons, David. But David wouldn't become king right away. In fact, it would be quite a while before David would find himself on the throne. And throughout that time, it gives us an opportunity to find out who David is, to see his character, to see it evolve and how he handles himself. And at the time when he does become king, he will be a leader and the nation of Israel will want to follow him. But we get our first glimpse at the character of David in 1 Samuel 17. It's that famous story of David and the giant Goliath. It's a time when the Israelites are at war with the Philistines. And David's brothers, they're off fighting the war, but of course he's too young to participate. So he's back home with his father. And one day his father sends him to the, to the battlefront. He says, here, take some provisions out to the, the soldiers and, and find out how things are going. You know, I'd like to know how things are going with my sons. And so David does that. He gets out there. And he finds there's really not much of a battle going on at all. Instead, it says uh, that the days really consist of a Philistine soldier. He's coming out and he's saying these things. He's saying, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And at this moment, the army, or however long this had been going on, however many days, the army had forgotten history. Saul had forgotten history. He had forgotten what happens when God is on your side, when you call out to God in, the, in times of trouble. They forgot, and they found themselves lost in familiar surroundings. As it says that on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Even though they were part of God's army, they didn't feel like they could stand up against this Philistine soldier. But while the army is lost in familiar surroundings, David knows exactly where he is. It says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, 
I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So while the others are lost, David knew exactly where he was. And he knew the God he served would protect him, just as he always had. And with that, David dispatches the giant in short order. Samuel will go on to say that David is a man after God's own heart. David would grow to be a great man, a great warrior, a great king. He would lead and Israel would follow. We're told in Samuel that uh, in everything that David did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. David knew the Lord was with him and he credited him appropriately. David knew exactly where he was until that one night. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're, we're told that it's springtime. And we're told that in springtime, that's when the kings go off to war. But this springtime was different. David decided as king not to go off to war, but to stay in his palace where it was comfortable. And one night, it tells us that David is out on the rooftop of the palace surveying the land. And he notices a woman bathing. She's doing nothing wrong. He's doing nothing wrong until he decides not to turn away, but to let himself linger at her beauty. In that moment, in his own home, David gets lost in familiar surroundings. Instead of asking God to forgive his actions, his thoughts, David asks the men around him, who, who is this woman I saw last night? Who is she? And he's told that her name is Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So now David knows two important things about this woman. He knows her name and he knows the name of her husband. And David knows that the laws of God forbid adultery. He knows the punishment for committing adultery. And instead of asking God to forgive again his thoughts, his actions, David sends messengers to bring Bathsheba to him. And whether it's by her own desire or out of obligation to the king, she comes. And instead of David respecting her, respecting the service of her husband and the sanctity of their marriage, 
David sleeps with her. Time passes by and Bathsheba reveals to David that she's pregnant. And with her husband away at war, it will become fairly obvious to those in the town that her child is not a product of her marriage. And at this time, David could confess his sin and accept the consequences. After all, David's a warrior. He's faced many men in battle. He's been up against worse challenges than this. He's not afraid to die. But to die like this? Shame, dishonor. This is no way for a king to die. So instead of finding his way home, David remains lost in familiar surroundings. And under false pretenses, he calls to have Uriah brought home from the battlefield. And he thinks, well, if Uriah goes home to be with his wife, It'll look like she bore the child under, under him, and that it was his child, and everything will be fine. If I can just cover this up, make this better, we can go forward from here, and everything will be just fine. But with the loyalty that David had but has since lost, we learn that Uriah comes but refuses to go home. Instead, he spends the night in the palace with the servants. And when the next morning, when David finds out about this, he asks Uriah. And Uriah responds with words that should have cut David right to the heart. Uriah says to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the country. How could I go to my house to eat? and drink, make love with my wife, as surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. He says, while my commander, my fellow soldiers are out in the field where David should be, how could I enjoy the comfort of my own home? So David asks him to stay one more night, hoping maybe he'll go home. But again, he refuses, and he spends the night with the servants again. So the next morning, David sends Uriah back to the battle with a message for Joab, the commander. David trusts Uriah's loyalty so much that he gives him the message to give to Joab that will be his death sentence. The letter that David sends to Joab through Uriah says to Joab, take Uriah to where the battle is fiercest. And when the battle has reached its full rage, have your men withdraw and leave Uriah to die. And Joab's a cruel man. He does. He doesn't care. He does what David asks. So we have a look 
lust, adultery, murder. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. In the amount of time it takes to commit adultery, conceive a child, kill a man, and have his mistress bear his child, David remains lost in familiar surroundings. In his own home, among his friends, David is lost. Says the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There are two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan as surely as the Lord lives the man who did this must die he must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity a harsh sentence for a man who stole a lamb but they often say that we're harshest on the people struggling with the same sin that we are and Nathan says to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord of God, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you, gave your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and this, if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, oops, am I needing to, oh, okay. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, 
but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David finally comes home. He finds his way back home. And Nathan replies, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son you bore will die. So thanks to Nathan, again, in the amount of time it takes to commit adultery, conceive a child, kill a man, have his mistress bear his child, David finally finds his way home. David and Bathsheba would both have to bear the consequences of their sin, but they would do it at home. David goes on to blame the only person responsible for everything he will endure because of what he did, himself. But the one thing David will do is put himself back into the guiding hand of God and let him see him through. So my question is, have you been lost in familiar surroundings? Maybe you're lost in familiar surroundings right now and you need a Nathan. Maybe you know somebody who's lost in familiar surroundings and needs you to be that Nathan. Maybe you think the story of David is too extreme and it just doesn't apply. But I ask, what have you become content with in your life? What language has become commonplace and doesn't seem to affect you anymore? Have you become content to let your eyes wander, your thoughts wander? Have you decided you don't really need to pray anymore? What little things have crept into your life? Do you try to make life decisions on your own? Thinking of your own needs, not worrying about what others' pain might be caused. All it took was a gaze for David to lose his way. I think if he only knew, if he only knew the damage that that gaze was going to cause, if he only knew, but now you do, so will you look away? Let's pray together. Holy Father in heaven, we are a weak people. We find ourselves, Father, where we never thought we'd be. We find ourselves saying things we never thought we'd say, doing things we never thought we'd do. Forsaking the one that loves us most, Father, you. You've called us to imitate your son, Jesus. 
Sometimes we make you proud. Sometimes we don't do well at all. But through it all, Father, I know that you are with us. And I pray that when we find ourselves lost, we have the courage to come home. And if we bring the guilt and shame with us, Father, I pray that we know it's only you that can take it away. That you have made us whole. You have made us clean through the blood of your son, Jesus. I pray that we put our faith in that. And that if we can lift ourselves up, we lift ourselves up by that truth, Father. You have done what we cannot. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.